pipe, leaving the man. coordination. Some people used to think I was mad. What's this got to do with boxing? Well, boxing's all about time and distance, coordination, mobility, flexibility, agility, rhythm. But we're smashing people in Ireland. Okay then, welcome on into this little introductory show for the Enswell podcast. Uh, boxing and all to do with Irish boxing, boxers and the boxing fraternity that has come off this island over the, the, the last number of years and, and beyond. The idea for the next few weeks and months hopefully is to feature a lot of the past boxers and their achievements and their feats, Olympics, professional titles, challengers, Europeans, the whole lot. And it's a long time ambition and a dream to be able to produce something like this. So it'll be a work in progress and certainly learn as we go. Tonight, really, what I wanted to do was feature a little bit about the uh, impending IBA voting and the indeed the future of amateur boxing in the Olympics. Um, this coming weekend, uh, this coming weekend, the, probably the, the most important, probably the most important weekend in, in what's been a, a very congested calendar for boxing. Um, it sees two men go head-to-head uh, in a real fight for the future, which really depends the future of boxing in the Olympics. Um, with the wrong result, we may have no amateur boxing in Tokyo 2020, or should I say we won't have any amateur boxing in 2020. The infighting, financial irregularities, management irregularities and allegations of corruption have, have um, they've, they've really followed Iba around for the last number of years and, and beyond to the point where it culminated in Michael Conlon um, uh, farce last, at the last Olympics in Rio where he was, as everybody knows the outcome of what happened in, in, in Rio and just shameful shameful uh, what grew from that then was a gap between IBA and the International Olympic Committee uh, to the point where the IOC have now declared that should the incumbent um, president win the outright vote and become the per- permanent president uh, full-time president that boxing will be banned from the olympics who is this guy uh gafor rakamov is his name uh, extremely wealthy billionaire from yeah, uzbekistan uh, he stands accused of, of having connections with uzbek um, gangs criminal links uh, to the global uh, drug scene and of course these are allegations which he, he denies and, and claims has nothing to do with him uh, but the International Olympic Committee are adamant if he wins he comes along boxing is out boxing loses until Tuesday uh, Rakamov was the only one um, he was unopposed there was to be no competition as his rival um, there was something of a cloud over his, his nomination 
for further voting, which is to be on, as I said, tonight or tomorrow at some point in Moscow. And up until Tuesday of this week, Rakimov was running unopposed. He didn't have any opposition, as there was a cloud hanging over uh, the nomination um, who, of, the, of the dude who wanted to run in opposition to him. Who was the opposition? Uh, he's a former Olympic silver medalist and multiple world champion. Uh, he's head of the Asian uh, Boxing Confederation, a guy called Serik Konobayev. Uh, up to now, his nomination had been in dispute uh, amid claims that it hadn't been submitted on time. But the World Court of Ar- Sporting Arbitration, or World Court of Arbitration for Sport, uh, basically deemed it legitimate. And Konakabayev is 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 to be uh, in the opposing corner um, from Rakimov. Not only would it be a savior for amateur boxing, it would be saving for Olympic boxing. Um, he would be also the first um, elite boxer to lead IBA and possibly leave some of the dark days behind with uh, someone who actually knows the game and knows the sport, knows the politics and the lay of the land and it, it, it would be a huge, huge move in the right direction for IBA and for boxing and amateur in general. Um, and it gets you to thinking then, it got me to thinking over over the last few days and, and whatnot about um, what would an Olympics look like without boxing? If we look back over history and, and imagine there hadn't been any um, boxing. Uh, can you imagine the amount of boxing in superstars and, and professionals who would never, who may never have, have become known? Heavyweights like Floyd, Floyd Patterson, uh, he, he took the gold in 52 in Helsinki. In the middleweight division in 60, 1960, there was a, a, a young guy, 18 years of age, um, strolled all the way through a light heavyweight title. Came kind of, people got to know him, and a little while after that, uh, Cassius Clay <laughs> became the wonderful Muhammad Ali and, and, and widely redeemed the, the greatest of all time. Not that long after, then, the, pre, the, the following one, um, 20-year-old Joe Frazier smashed his way to gold, 64, in, in 1964 in Tokyo. And then the following one again, uh, George Foreman, went as f- who ended up a pro career, four-time heavyweight champion. Something like 81 fights, 75 wins, 68, 69 knockouts. F- phenomenal, phenomenal record. Uh, so you've got a Patterson, and Olympics. With no Olympics then, there would have been no Patterson, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Foreman no gold medals for those guys so how would that have affected or influenced their professional career how would it have shaped the professional boxing heavyweight for the following because those those guys went to form the, the heavyweight division for the next 10 possibly 20 years and uh, a bit closer to home we looked at um, in the, uh, I suppose in the European scene you would have had David Price um, Richie Woodall, 1988, Robin Reed, David Price, uh, Amir Khan, Audley Harrison, De Gale, James De Gale, of course, who took Peter Owen, uh, Darren Sutherland, Luke Campbell, Joshua then, of course, who's who's gone on to be the present, possibly the future of the heavyweight division. So, on that side, and that's when you think of it, boxing, if you think of the Olympics without boxing in recent times and over history, really and truly what what would that leave the Olympics with sprinting uh, gymnastics second it but certainly boxing and the pro boxing would be in it wouldn't be anything the same as what it, it turned out and developed to be over the years from an Irish perspective the Olympics has just been uh, the, the land of milk and honey really over the years for boxers 
Um, Ireland have a total of 27 Olympic medals. Um, I'm discounting four of those for, for obvious reasons. Um, four medals taken in a pool under conditions that so I'm not counting those so I would say we have 27 Olympic medals and 15 of those have been have come from boxing um, Floyd May while Floyd Patterson was was winning his gold in Helsinki in 52 Belfast Bantam John McNally took a silver Fred Tidy took home a silver from Melbourne in 56 and went on to win a bronze the following year in the in Prague at the Europeans for a phenomenal flyweight Melbourne Olympics in 1956 was Ireland's highest medal rate medaling ever at the Olympics. Uh, we came home with I think it was a total of five. Uh, Ronnie Delaney's on the track to 1500 gold. Dublin welterweight Freddie Teach went all the way to the final, uh, narrowly losing out to the Romanian on a, on a 3-2 reversal. Uh, he took the silver medal, and we took another three uh, bronze medals home then from through Johnny Caldwell, uh, Freddie Gilroy, and. and Tony Soxburn, so that was Ireland's highest ever Olympic medal rating. Uh, 64 in Tokyo, Jim McCourt brought home bronze, and in 1980, in a very cold war background uh, in the Moscow Olympics, uh, Huey Russell won the bronze. And there was a gap of a couple of years then, I suppose, between medals and when Irish fighters qualified. We, we'd always managed to get qualifiers, uh, but to get qualifiers and then transfer them into medals, uh, there was a bit of a gap. In, but we still had a healthy qualifying in 84 with Paul Fitzgerald going a couple of bouts in, in LA. Um, he went. He, he started off quite well, won two of his early rounds. With Kieran, Kieran Joyce had an explosive start, smashed his way into the first couple of rounds and again um, no, no joy in the end. He, he ended up losing out to, to the Finnish boxer who, who uh, just narrowly went to the final and, and was barely beaten by the by the the I think it was the American or, or Jamaican I'm not too sure. Jerry Hawkins and Phil Sutcliffe both went to their second successive Olympics in '84. They had no luck. They were close enough. They finished. They, they, they really did. Did probably decide. Went a long way to deciding who took the medals in that in their divisions. Um, so it was um, successful a couple of years. Whilst we weren't converting medals, with Sam Story qualified as well, represented and 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 really were going close whilst not just taking the medals it was it was never a million miles away Seoul 1988 uh, South Korea again quite a political uh, background uh, we have boycotted again by Cubans Russia were back in after boycotting LA um, Ireland had six boxers went to Seoul um, none of them medaled in the end but uh, all made good showing um, Joe Lawler had a good start I think he won a couple of bouts Joe Loy had a couple of shots couple of bouts. Billy Walsh, of course, who went on to be the backbone and, and, and the, the reason, a big reason why Ireland won so many medals in recent times. He had a couple of wins. Um, again, Kieran Joyce had qualified. Um, Paul Fitzgerald, they were all close, close enough. There was, it, it, it was um, Wayne McCulloch and Michael Carruth's Olympic debut. They went on and got invaluable experience for what follow in, in, uh, in four years' time in Barcelona. And indeed, who could forget uh, Barcelona in '92? In um, probably formed my earliest and most fondest memories of the Olympics. Um, the final, Michael Carruth and Wayne McCulloch, both of them in their finals, just such excitement generated. We had Wayne or Michael Carruth later on in the afternoon. I think it was Wayne was up first, and, and he had a huge battle on his hands against Joel Casamayor, one of the greatest Cubans in history, and that's saying something. 
phenomenal start to the sh to the bout by by Casamayor, who just shot out of the in, in the first round and did awful damage. I mean, I think Wayne is on record since having said uh, he couldn't feel one side of his face for a couple of days or weeks afterwards. Um, but in the third round, really was something to behold when you saw McCulloch and how he battled back. We fought, pushed back the Cuban, pressed him all the way, sat in the pocket, picking his shots, landing his shots, and just unbelievable guts and determination and, and really did set the scene and, and I would have no I would love to uh, we will be speaking to Wayne uh, quite soon and I would say Eddie Futch saw footage from that and, and it had to have helped him make his decision to as to how and, and as to him signing with uh, Wayne McCulloch because it really was that third round was when, when all seemed to be lost he just bit down on the gum shield and absolutely went to war with with, with Casamayor and, and it was just it was really one of those special bouts to see. He was close enough in the end I think it ended up 8-5 uh, under a, re a reversal to Casamayor but unbelievable guts and determination against um, when he was so far behind early doors and then later on in the day then it was um, Michael Carruth who was really given little or no chance um, I think the commentary if I remember right they were calling him a fiddler, fiddly or fiddler or something like that they had called him saying that if he if he managed to get ahead the commentators were referring to him as fiddly I think it was fiddly if he managed to get ahead in a bout that he was almost impossible to catch and he he had it rough early on he of course was in with Juan Hernandez Sierra would, would pos safe to say again one of the Cuba's greatest ever champions and, and Olympic Olympians and the size difference was, was, was just frightening to see he was it, it looked like a David against Goliath would, would be putting it mildly it was frightening to look at and he started really quick but Carruth dug in about halfway through that first round and he scored a couple of couple of points that kind of shocked it seemed to shock the Cuban he didn't he he wasn't sure how this was happening how it how it had happened it was like this big looping right hook that was coming around and it was so obvious um, the hook the hook was so obvious it could be seen all around every time he sh he he threw it he landed it and the crowd reacted which made it impossible for the judges not to score um, second round it, it was very peculiar there was a lot of pulling and dragging the Cuban was a bit reluctant he, he still had a lot of joy but he wasn't wasn't as happy coming forward he wasn't he was a little bit reluctant uh, but Carruth boxed perfection on the back foot just perfection he just moved moved and kept using that right hook the right hook it seemed to score every time I'd, I'd love to look at it again and see but it, from memory it seems like he scored with the right hook every chance he every time he threw it and he took a three-point uh, warning in that second round too, which was very dubious to say the least. It, it in those days, it, uh, a warning and possibly still a warning was minus three points, uh, which against the Cuban like that, and when what they thought he might have been trailing already was was looked like it could be catastrophic. But he boxed on and kept on the back foot and kept going, kept going, and in the third round he just gave a masterclass. Hernandez fouled. Hernandez just kept punching on the break. He kept boxing on the back of the head. Rabbit punches. No warnings. No, no public warning. Nothing. He just kept. But Carut gave a masterclass. Lot delivering that right hook at will. Delivering the shots and tying up on the inside and some body work. Just beautiful perfection. The tactics just worked to a treat. And he ended up winning on a 13-10 score. And it secured a silver and a gold medal for Ireland in, in the boxing. And. 
it was it was a little bit special uh, for a number of reasons. I don't think things were going particular. It wasn't that long after Italia ninety. The so- soccer was flying. Football was really doing well. Everybody was on the high with the, the boys in green and it, the, the guys went over there. And I don't I don't think there was much expected. Was they were, they were expected to do well because they had performed well in it. But the draw always threw up tough tough bouts. And and uh, Michael in particular had a, a really grueling semi final with the German a couple of days prior to his final and. There was a worry what I may have taken out of him, what I may have not have taken out of him. And I think I haven't listened to Michael speak in recent a couple of times since. He tells brilliant stories of that final and, and what things that went on. We uh, try and get in contact with Michael and have him on to tell his stories of that. And it's, it's really special to listen to him speak. Um, and Wayne too as well. We'll be sp- I know I've spoken to Wayne, been in contact with Wayne and he's, he's due to come on as well. So both of them to, to relive their Olympic final and how it formed their, their career and their lives from then on will be will be worth listening to. Um, and then there was a gap of 16 years, I think it was, was 16? Yeah, 16 years from, from 92 to 2008 until we managed to pick up our, our, our next... Um, Boxing medals, and we and we took three home from from Beijing, and and uh, who who could ever forget the emotion of Kenny Egan's final when when he fought in that Olympic final in Beijing, and and, and watching the scores go up as as the, as Egan landed the shots, and the Chinaman score was going up, and it was just so frustrating, it was so heartbreaking, and to see him on the podium at the end, which take the China Chinaman's medal, and just to look at it and hold it, and realized that he that he had won that in in actual fact and that was the early signs for me i know i know a lot of people on the inside would have known there was problems with iba at the time but for there was signs then to the to the normal man on the street that, that things are all things weren't as the scene with iba that there was there was in-house stuff going on there was referees being sent home judges being sent home and there was scoring and from an irish point of view ken egan was the captain of the team he was the leader of the team he was the the media the darling of the media at the time and it was heartbreaking, really was heartbreaking to watch Ken standing on the, on the podium and, and, and no bitterness, no ill will, but inside it had to have been, um, it had to have been tough, it had to have been a battle to accept. Um, Paddy Barnes took his, his, his first bronze medal home from that one with Darren Sutherland, taking a bronze as well and Darren Sutherland uh, was, became one of my favourite boxers, he became my favourite boxer of the time and I remember the excitement and just the the um, the excitement and, and looking forward to him in the amateur game or the pro game, and what was to become and what would become, and no doubt in my mind, and, and uh, we might do a, an episode about it. We probably will do an episode about it at some point in time, but I have never had a doubt, and anything I've seen since um, has just affirmed and proven to me that Darren Sutherland would have been an absolutely world class middleweight. He had it all. He had the power. He had the speed. He had the chin, and he had a work rate just second to none. And um, it was touching a few years later to hear James DeGale. I think it was last year that there was he was still wearing Darren's initials on his his fight kit, his his, his shorts, and that was that was a little bit special. It, James DeGale hadn't been a boxer that I was particularly fond of up until that, and when I saw that interview, I just couldn't help but be an admirer and a fan. And, where he goes from here, hopefully he can he can uh, rebuild, regroup, and go again. And, and there's talk of about with Eubank. I'm not 100% sure. We'll, we'll see what that brings. Um, and then again, it was four years. Then we went on to London, and that was almost like a home games. And the anticipation of Katie Taylor going to it was like a lifetime's work of Katie. Uh, I know 
from a personal point of view, uh, I had been listening to a, an old friend of mine um, speaking that he, he had been involved with coaching Katie early on in her career and he constantly telling me about this real million dollar baby and, and this is what she was, she was, she's the real, I'm telling you Ellen, she's the real million dollar baby, this is the real million dollar baby, she's unbelievable and, and I remember hearing so much about her and I went to see her box in a, in a, in a friendly competition in, in Waterford. Tremor, uh, I would have said maybe about 2011, possibly 2000, late 2010, early 2011. And I remember watching Katie in the ring for my very first, long before the media or any hype, and I just thought, what am I seeing here? Uh, female boxing was completely alien to me uh, at the time. I knew nothing about it. I'd, I'd never seen it. I'd, I'd barely heard about it. And I just remember thinking, what have we got here? It was like looking at, the, it was really like looking at the Matrix. It was like, her shot selection, the way she was avoiding her defence, she was on the ropes, she was dividing shots, she was swerved, she was, it was just breathtaking. It was like something I'd never seen before and to see it up close, from right from that night on, I was a fan and I was under no illusion as to where she was going to go and, and, and she boxed such a gave and I remember watching the final, I remember it, I remember there was a little bit of concern about her boxing Tasha Jonas but it was there was never any, ever, ever any doubt. It was never any way close to me. It was the only way. There was a little concern, I think, was about what way the judging might go and what way the refereeing. But Katie was just too good. It was just, it was just different levels, different levels. Even then, it was different levels, and the levels have just got wider since. And the closest was Achigeva. And the end of that first round, in the final, Achigeva. And I remember seeing an interview with Pete Taylor. Um, I think it was a couple of years later what would have happened somebody posed the question what would have happened if she'd have come in from the second or from the second last round going into the final stanza uh, what would he have done if she was behind and it was very simple he just said I would have taken the reins off and I remember posing and thinking for a second so you mean everything in that final was was planned and it was boxed to plan boxed under control and that just made it again I mean to beat a, a competitor like Ochigeva, Sophia Ochigeva, and that I was disappointed after that she didn't go pro, and I think she she had a baby afterwards, and I think she might have gave up the game for a little bit, and she's come back to it, but she never had any ambition to box professionally. But what a competitor, and she really did push Katie close in that first round. But again, from there, she just went up through the gears and, and left them standing in her wake, and it was such an emotion, such a roller coaster to see her stand on the edge of the apron after the fight and just. To, pump fist pump the air and let all that emotion out and let just let it all go and, and, the, and the reaction from the crowd I think even the English crowd took her to their hearts at that, that Olympics and it was just really emotional it was really special and it, again it, it, it forms one of those Olympic memories for me for boxing that's just never going to be matched it's never going to be beaten it's just going to be etched away there in the memory forever and uh, of course the three lads went on uh, John John Evan Took a took a really creditable uh, silver in the bantamweight division. Another another amateur that I just couldn't wait to see go pro. And sadly, John Joe's career has been stop start since. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, it's still there. It's it's he's, as far as I know, he's still unbeaten. He's boxing with um, he's boxing out of Chicago, I think, or Boston with Dropkick Murphys. Um, I've reached out to John Joe. Uh, true, I think it sent him a DM there not so long ago. So maybe we could get John Joe on as well to have a chat and see where John Joe's moving from here. Um, and then of course Paddy took his second bronze uh, again I think it was uh, in the light light fly I think yeah light flyweight and it was it was it was kind of funny and noticeable as well that in in um, in that year Michael Conlon as 
far as I remember, he was he was a little bit he'd qualified a little bit ahead of his time. There was talk of holding him and developing him for uh, for Rio, and that he was progressing at such a rate that they he qualified that they allowed send it forward. Now I might be wrong on this, but as far as I remember, it was very similar. Paddy Barnes, I think, when Paddy was qualified for Beijing, he was being groomed for London, and he went forward and qualified early and went on to medal. And I think Michael Conlon did the same. And and Conlon was a huge, huge favourite going to Rio. I think he was odds on, um, which made it all that little bit more uh, bitter when when it, the the result was was delivered upon him in the, his final. But um, I don't think it has done him any harm in the long run. I think in fact it may have added to his stock in the long run. And I really believe Michael Conlon is a future world superstar. I think he has all the attributes. He's got all the skills. He's got the personality. He's got the charisma, and he's got the. Um, balls to to do it all and he's certainly with the best coach for for I believe the best coach for him right now uh, to maximize everything he's got and to take him on to that level where um, the world watches so all in all the Olympics without boxing would mean Ireland has half the amount of t- Olympic medals it currently has as I said I think it was 27 27 medals and 15 of those are boxing so we would scratch 15 off that total for a start and in world terms and european terms there's just uh, stars casamayor berto delahoya ingle lewis roy jones jeff lacy meldrick taylor tarver and antonio tarver you know, andre ward mike mccallum floyd mayweather all those guys won olympic medals and went on to be phenomenal massive worldwide stars and formed boxing for the next 20 30 years after so those guys if they hadn't had the platform of the olympics they may not have been able to secure the deals they secured with the promoters and the trainers they did and who knows what would have become they may well still have had the talent and possibly would have had the talent to go on and, and deliver as they did in their pro career but possibly not possibly not the olympics is a massive stepping stone for, for boxers uh, it's a it's a huge learning curve if you look at the likes of Lawrence O'Coley and how it brings him on and, and he's, he would be considered late to the game big joe joyce both late comers to the pro game but look at the experience it's delivered and look at how quick it's been look at lomachenko how he's been able to fast forward um, winning so many world titles early on in his professional career almost I think he boxed for a, a world title in his very first pro fight which it's unheard of Paddy Barnes recently I watched him in Belfast and how he boxed after so few six pro fights and was leading the fight he was he was ahead in that bout until um, he just got the mother of all body shots the sickener and, and it just sunk him there and then on the spot no shame no no reason whatsoever to hang his head it was one of those shots that was just hell hell sent and Paddy will be back there's no doubt about it the comeback is on and, and Paddy Barnes uh, well, doesn't take a knee lightly and he'll be back and I, I do believe before Paddy hangs those gloves up there'll be a, there'll be a belt around his waist yeah just just to surmise that's that's a, a little preview show I guess it's the start to ends well boxing where we've just had a quick look at the Olympics and the future that it may hold and, and one can only hope that um, Rakimov can see the damage that uh, his election would cause and how, how it jeopardizes not just Olympic boxing but boxing in general needs the Olympics and Olympics needs boxing because it does bring that excitement it brings that combative nature to it that track and field just can't bring 
I just can't bring it. And you look at two guys standing toe to toe, world class amateur stars delivering cop quality boxing bouts. There's nothing to come close to it. And and we can only hope that uh, over the weekend, I, again, I think it's tonight or tomorrow, that uh, that we can only hope that Serif Konakbagev uh, can defeat Rakimov in the voting and set uh, a new level for Iba on the boxing scene and hopefully, hopefully start a new chapter for amateur boxing on the world scene. So that about wraps up that first edition. Uh, it's a little bit, uh, it's going to be learn as we go, learn on the job. Um, hopefully we could like and share. Uh, we're available across all the platforms, uh, social media platforms. If you look for Enswell Boxing on Twitter, uh, Instagram and Facebook, uh, the email is enswellboxing at protonmail.com. And if you just keep an eye out, uh, share the love, spread the love, spread the word. We have in the future episodes. We've got some of our some of our top amateurs um, in the game that have been just bringing medals home for sport in recent times. We've got a, a chat with one of those. I'm I'm off to see her. I think tomorrow afternoon, and um, in the coming days and weeks, then we do. We will, I'll be speaking to Wayne McCulloch, uh, John O'Carroll, and uh, Gary Hyde, and and to name just a few of the boxing personalities here from Ireland that we'll, we'll be spreading the net far and wide and we'll be doing a little bit of an interview we'll do some news and notes every week and preview Irish fighters that's coming up but by and large it'll be um, it'll be a tip of the tip of the hat to boxers and boxing um, fraternity of the recent years who have brought such uh, glory to the country in the boxing ring so thanks again for listening anybody that can uh, anybody wants to get in touch please do so over the social media um bear with me it's going to be a learning experience it's all new but it's a it's a first step along that road that has been put off i've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off over the last few weeks um and a little bit of confidence and everything else will come fine so thanks again for listening so for anybody who wants to get in touch over social media facebook twitter instagram or even through email here's the details Twitter is at Enswell Podcast. Uh, Facebook page is Enswell Pod, or you'll find it under Al Rich. Instagram page then is Enswell underscore Pod, and our email address is Enswell Pod at protonmail.com.